This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It's a delicious, sugar-free, electrolyte drink mix. I tried this recently after hearing about it on another podcast, and since then, I've stocked up on boxes and boxes of this and usually use it one to two times per day. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks. As a coach or an athlete, you will not find a better product that focuses on the essential electrolytes your body needs during competition. Element has become a staple in my own training and something we are excited to offer our coaches and student athletes as well. Element is used by military special forces teams, Team USA Weightlifting, at least five NFL teams, and more than half the NBA. You can try it risk-free. If you don't like it, Element will give you your money back, no questions asked. They have extremely low return rates. Element came up with a very special offer for you as a listener to this podcast. For a limited time, you can claim a free Element sample pack. You only cover the cost of shipping. For U.S. customers, this means that you can receive an eight-count sample pack for only $5. Simply go to drinkelement.com slash justinclimo. That's drinklmnt.com slash justinclimo to claim your free eight-count sample pack. Drinkelement.com slash justinclimo. The Context Podcast is proudly sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar, our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced made to be enjoyed on special occasions. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European wine drinkers, California wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard sourced from Napa, Sonoma County, and Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with an eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations with every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. Also, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful. The wines are great. You'll be supporting Saving the Earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com. Discount code CONTACTS at checkout. Hello, and welcome to CONTACTS, a podcast dedicated to bringing you practical ideas coaches sharing what they have learned throughout their career. I want to open the door into my network of contacts whose innovative, reflective, and diverse coaching knowledge may offer ideas to enhance your experience. I'm your host, Justin. Welcome back to Contacts. We are joined today by Jerry Moss, retired health and fitness teacher from Concord, Mass., former head water polo coach at Boston University, Boston College, MIT, and Wellesley College. Coach, super excited to have you here. Want to talk some polo, get into the weeds on some things. So appreciate having you here. Thank you. Hey, one, one quick thing, and that's on me. I was the assistant coach at MIT, wasn't the head coach. And that's hey. where I learned a lot too from this from uh, John Benedict. <laughs> awesome. Well, hopefully, we're going to get into some of those things on the episode. Right. And uh, with no further ado, let's just dive in. So, a long, distinguished career that long as an educator and coach, you probably have an interesting story for how you got into this to begin with. So, I'm curious, how did you end up in water polo? How did you end up coaching 
What brought you to this point? I've always wanted to answer that question. My dad was a swimmer, not a competitive swimmer, but he was a lifeguard during the summers. And we grew up in Jersey, always down to shore. So it was always in the water. I was part of the Montclair YMCA. I was a latchkey kid. So after school, you go to the Y and you do all their activities in summer day camp. But swimming was always been a part of it. And then in my town, my hometown of Montclair, New Jersey, there were three pools built in our town in different sections of the town. And in my section, we had a pool. And that was back when I think I was in seventh grade. And I swam there. I was on the swim team there. Then I became the coach at, I think, age 16 or 17. I did that for, that was my summer gig up until my sophomore year in college. So I started coaching back then. But I've always had a love of the water. All right, I swam in high school, was not the best swimmer, was not the fastest. I just loved swimming. My sports were really baseball and football. That's, that's what I grew up playing. And flash forward now to 1972, my senior year, here are the Olympics on TV. And I'm watching water polo. I'm like, what the hell is this? I said, this looks pretty cool. And to me, it's a combination of lacrosse, basketball, football, all sports I played, here you are in the water now. I says, wait a minute, I can swim. And I thought it was awesome. So now I go to Northeastern like the next month, my freshman year at Northeastern. And I actually tried out for the crew team. So we're down in the tank. And at the end of the workout, I'm looking up, there's an observation window up above my head. I go, hey, what's that? They go, that's the observation window for the pool. And I see all these legs and hands grabbing suits. And I say, well, who are those guys? And one guy go, that's a water polo team. I went, all right, I tapped out a crew and I just went to water polo. And that was it. That's how I got started with water polo. And I, I was fortunate that the sports I played, they, they just came natural to me. And that's probably why I was a health and fitness teacher. I enjoyed sport. I enjoyed competition. I enjoyed the physical activity of it. I enjoyed the mental aspect of it. And it was a no-brainer. I just fell in love with the sport. And from there, I was captain and coach for my life for my junior, senior year, because our coach was, you can't find a water polo coach. <laughs> and that was it. I started officiating and then I got away from it. So when I left Northeastern in 77 and I started out on my career, water polo was in the back seat. It was just not even there anymore. 10 years later in 86, 87, I started playing pickup again because I ran into a couple of my old buddies and they go, hey man, we're playing pickup at MIT. I went, I'm down. And I ran into some more people and then someone said, hey, are you interested in coaching? Why not? Well, BU. Okay, so I did three years with BU and the juices were flowing again. The next year I did uh, one year with John Benedict at MIT, who was, he was unbelievable as a coach. And then the next year, BC said, you know, they looking for a coach. I went, I, I can do that. And I got the BC gig. And it really was that easy. Uh, I was just in the right place at the right time. And it was awesome. And then after BC, it's like, well, the pool time was really bad. It was uh, 7 to 9 or maybe it was 9 to 11 at night. And we had just moved further away from the city. So now I've got like about an hour drive. And my first child was being born. We're trying to conceive. We had some issues there. So I had to be at home. Mm -hmm. So that was it for coaching. And then 22 years later, 
someone said the Wolsey College coach is a good friend of mine, Bonnie Dick. She says, hey, we just started sharing about our background. She goes, I didn't know you played water polo. We're looking for a coach. I went, I'd love to get back into it. So I started coaching Wolsey College. I did that uh, for four years from, I think it was what, from 13 to 17. I coached Wellesley and it was awesome. I ran into some former players I played against, former coaches I had played against, uh, a bunch of officials I used to officiate with. So it was a cool thing. But the water polo has just been a big part of my life, actually. And I started doing it with my summer club, I don't know, 25 years ago, just getting the little kids in, throwing the ball around. And that that's how I got started. It was just... I saw it on TV in the Olympics. I liked it. Went to Northeastern. They had it. That was it. That's such a fascinating story because you begin with baseball and football were my sports. And I'm watching the Olympics and was captivated by this water sport. Never heard of it. Never had seen it before. And and that's what it did. It captivated me. Yeah, yeah. And then not only that, but you're able to figure out how to go play collegiately having never participated. And the things that jumped out yeah. for me, which I've seen and felt in my own journey, which is your comment, it's like lacrosse, it's like basketball, it's like soccer, but all in the water together. And that's right. exactly how I see it in regards to being the basketball coach and trying to encourage my athletes, hey, these are the other sports I need you to play, water polo and lacrosse. It's the same game, just different yeah. media. And it's very interesting that you say that because that's exactly how I try to push it for people that are unfamiliar with it. And it's a little bit more of a mainstream sport out here in California than I imagine it is on the East Coast. But the way in which that evolved is just awesome. The other thing I'm curious about as we get into this is being a person of color and seeing a sport that doesn't have a great representation there how did you navigate that aspect of it and has there been anything that has been more of a challenge than maybe it would have been simply because of perception and optics and people not understanding that hey sports are sports and we're going to figure this out and compete and and make the best of it yeah when I first started I, I look back and I guess growing up where I grew up in Montclair it prepared me well for this journey, to use a phrase. And it was basically 60% white, 40% black. Montclair is known for its education, its sports, everything. They do, it's just a good town to grow up in. So when I left Montclair going to Northeastern, I was pretty much prepared. And I say that, I'll give you some more background because as a black person, you have to be prepared for the white world. And that's what my mother taught me when I was a little kid. She says, you have to be twice as good as your white counterpart when you go for a job. And that's why education was very important in my family. So when I almost flunked out of school my freshman year, she was not very happy. (laughs) She was pissed. So long story short there, I talked her out of it. So I stayed. But it's been a sport where, and people always ask me, what was it like when you were the only black plane? Did anybody say anything to you? And if someone had said something derogatory to me in the water or on the deck, I was oblivious. I didn't hear it. And I know if my teammates had heard it, they would have punched somebody's lights out. That's how they were. No matter what team you're part of, you get really close and tight and you protect one another. And uh, so I never really had any issues with that per se. The only issue 
I had is this one tournament. We went down to the New York AC. I didn't go on this trip because I had some labs to do that weekend. And they came back the same day. I go, what are you guys doing back? They go, they wouldn't let us in because we had two Jewish guys with us. Yeah, the New York Athletic Club. That was a 70, that was my freshman year, September 72, I think, yeah. So that's the only time I've seen that. And I wasn't even with the team, but it's holy cow. But no, so I haven't had any bad dealings in terms of being called any names or anything, none. I just shoot the ball at their head and score a goal. (laughs) Absolutely. Moving on from that, we might circle back, but the the thing that is sitting with me from your background in story is you fall into coaching as a 16-year-old because there's just not a lot of water polo coaches around. And so you start dabbling as a coach, and then you become a formal coach at BU and then help out at MIT and and learn some things and then end up at at BC as the head coach. And then you take a gap and you come back to Wellesley. But at each of those stops, I always wonder what are the things that you felt prepared for? You dive into this, you know, it's going to be messy, but what are the things that jumped out at you that you realized I need to figure this one out because this is going to be a slog if I don't. When you became the head coach or even when you switched jobs and became an assistant, what jumped out at you is, okay, this needs to be, this is urgent and this is important. I need to figure this piece out. Organization. (laughs) Yeah, the BU job, that's really where I started. And it was good. The administration was helpful. The pool time wasn't bad. What I did learn was that uh, you need to understand how to write. I could play the game very well. Coaching is a whole new ball game, as I'm sure. So I was coaching from how I played as a player. And that didn't work for many people. So that's one thing I had to learn was really how to coach it. Yeah, I can play the game pretty good high level, but coaching at that level, I had to learn a lot. And so that's each step from BU to MIT to DC and Wellesley, each place I learned a few things, but mainly organization. And really when I got to BC, you had to be organized because now that's a D1 thing and you got to check in at the office every day, check your mailbox, yada, 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 check the kids' grades. And I like the way BC did it too, because they kept up with with the student athletes. It's really hard to fail your classes as a student athlete in the D1 school. I got to tell you. So if you have a kid who fails, They did something. They didn't do anything, nothing. So it was really nice to see that support from administration saying, yeah, we got your back in in this fashion. We'll help you with the kids and here are the grades, here are the teachers and stuff like that. So that's a whole new ball game there that you had to learn. And I took that into Wellesley with me and that worked out well, but Wellesley was different. That was uh, was a, it's all female school. So I had coached softball at Conquer Carlisle for 23 years. So I understand about working with females specifically. Now my swim team in high school was co-ed, but to work co-ed and then work with either one gender or one another gender, it is different. Mm-hmm. There's no two ends about it. Yeah, I learned a lot. And you think that at the age where I was in 2015, yeah, I know it all. Nah. So I was still learning. I took a lot of the things I had learned from coaching high school with me to Wellesley also. And I've just been fortunate with all the coaching gigs I've had. I've had them because it's something I really liked and enjoyed. I didn't have to coach. I just wanted to coach. So I had a couple of follow-ups. One, 
I needed to figure out how to coach because it wasn't the same as me being a player. And are there anything, couple bullets that are very specific to the mindset shift you had to make that you could offer other coaches or listeners? This is the shift that has to be made. And here's why. Yeah, I like that question. So for me, I had to basically relearn the game. I watched a lot of film. I talked to some college coach in terms of water ball. I talked to college coaches, but you have to relearn the game. Then you have to, like I said before, I can teach the skills I have, but I've got to teach all the positions and you have to understand that. And then how that can flow into an offense, how that can flow into a defense. So I thought it worked for me that I had coached lacrosse for a number of years. I coached basketball, played them on football. So to me, it's that same type of movement and that concept. So I had to basically just understand how to write a good practice. What are the specific skills we need? Now you talk to any coach, you can have, let's say three head coaches looking at the same thing and they can all come up with three different things. And well, I think this should be done. I think that should be done. Well, I think that should be done. So you just have to figure out what you think should be done. Okay. And then just focus on that. So I study. So basically one word is I studied and I studied other coaches to look at film. Great. The other follow-up I have, and we're definitely going to come back to the point of coaching other sports, but you mentioned that and I don't know how to say this other than there, there's definitely differences in coaching the different genders and whether it's a generality or not, that's something you experienced. I've experienced the same thing on my path. And with that, again, as a piece of advice, are there things you could offer a few bullet points again that aren't necessarily specific to a certain gender, but here are the things you need to be alert to when you're shifting between these two spaces, co-ed, all boys, all girls. These are the things I learned over 36 years. I had to be a little bit more alert to than I probably would have thought uh, beforehand. <laughs> a few to me, classic words, think before you speak. And if you can follow that, that's very important. And one of the other things that I found to be important is that over the years I chilled I've become more relaxed and I understand when, a, when an athlete comes into the practice, you don't know what type of day he or she has had. You don't know what's going on in the home life and you know what I'm talking about. And uh, so you have to be aware of all that. In the old days, when I first started, you, why are you late? Rah, 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 rah. And now it's, hey, hey, how was your day? All right. Why are you late? It's a, just a different approach. So yeah, think, definitely think before you speak. And I guess absorb more, just sit back and listen to your athletes. Great. I love that. And I want to follow that up with one more thing you mentioned, which was my high school background as a coach really helped my transition oh, yeah. to collegiate coaching. Yeah. And people often think that it's this huge disparity between levels and how different it is and you can't do this or you can but you brought that up so I'm curious in what ways was that background formative and what did you keep with you as you transitioned to collegiate coaching and what did you change it's just the experience that you have through teaching working with kids so like I said I started teaching in September of 79 
when I started my first coaching gig was in 87. So I had some time in between there to learn. And that's what I did. I learned basically how to deal with youth, young kids. And when you talk about high school and colleges, kids are kids. College, you might see a little bit more crazier or outgoing kids, but just the overall experience that I had from teaching and then also coaching at the high school level, it just prepared for me, it prepared me for collegiate because I mean, a person is a person. Mm. Are they 17 or are they 19? And during that time of your life, though, those are, it is a contrast because if you have a 16 year old player, playing against a 17, uh, let's say a 15 year old player playing against an 18 year old player, man, those three years make a big difference physically. Mm-hmm. But it's just, uh, yeah, just that experience is that would really help me. And just being with other very, very good colleagues or very good coaches, seeing how they dealt with situations. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. I just took that and brought it over here with me. So just being around other good coaches and all the experience I had with teaching and coaching prior to me getting back into water polo as a coach. Mm-hmm. Great. I appreciate that. And I want to circle back as well to your comment about I had coached lacrosse and that helped me be a better water polo coach. I had coached softball. Yeah. You've coached swimming. You've coached hoops. You've done all these other things. And I think often those of us that are passionate about, let's say, a particular sport, we get in the tunnel of this is where 100% of my focus goes. <laughs> and you made the comment that you got better as a coach and you were able to translate things from these other sports and right. see the game differently, which is the same thing I've been able to experience coaching softball, golf, cross country as a basketball coach. There you and go. I wonder if you could point to a few specific things you've been able to take over the years from say one of those other sports and directly apply to water polo so that the listeners and other coaches that may be wondering just how transferable the content is. And they have some examples to point to. And I sit here every day. I'm so blessed. I look out my window at the water polo practice and I just watch. And then I steal and the gym is right there. But are there some things that you can say, oh yeah, this is something I took from lacrosse and we implemented it. And here's the outcome we were able to achieve. Yeah, so water polo and lacrosse, those are uh, two very, actually, they're very similar. And the mindset of the athletes who play it are pretty much very similar. As a fun going people like to work hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I took a lot of stuff from lacrosse. Uh, if you see a man defense, if you see his own defense, and in lacrosse, what we do is place someone in the zone, have them go through, then replace it with someone. And in water polo, you do the same thing. Swim through that area, suck them in, swim through again. So just that's just a minor example. Mm-hmm. In terms of athletes, there, you know, I think every coach, and I bet you, you do too, you have, you can look back to almost every, not every season, but every different team you coach. And you can pick out one thing that probably didn't work out well at the time, but it was one of those things that, taught you so it doesn't happen again mm-hmm. we were I was coaching swimming and I was with a different town Framingham Massachusetts I was the assistant coach because in Concord we swim in the winter and in the other town swim in the fall strange in Massachusetts anyway and this one girl had missed a lot of practice and she finally came in and the head coach says hey come on down here let's talk to what's her name all right and I says yeah yeah okay 
So the, the, the teams in the pool swimming, we're sitting down on the deck and the head coach just, you know, blasts there. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying to myself, yeah, that's right. Give it to her. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yell at her. Yeah. And then the coach says, the voice is loud. He's not yelling, but it's stern. What do you have to say for yourself? And her head was down and she picked her head up and said, and then finally the coach said, where were you? And uh, she picked her head up and says, I was in a hospital. I tried to commit, I, I tried to commit suicide. And we both sat there like you just looked. That's how we looked and felt worse. And I just put my head down. I went, oh, my, I got goosebumps now. And from then on, and that's to me, if I can say something to a coach, understand who your athletes are and understand that they didn't have the same type of day you may have had. And you don't know where they're coming from, be it what's going on in the home or in the school or in their social lives. And that made, I, I really, that, that will always stick with me, unfortunately, but fortunately I've learned from it. But yeah, just know your athletes and chill. <laughs> For sure. Man, it was crazy. Yeah. And to that point, you mentioned this multiple times already and how the profession, the interaction has changed over the years from when you first got into it. And there was very much my way or the highway type approach to now where it's yeah. mostly athlete centered and not about the coach per se. Right. And it's been a huge shift in, I would imagine, the long term relationships that you're able to build and the athletes realizing that you're deeply concerned about them at their core and not just the outcome of the game. And so that's a great and unfortunate anecdote that, that forces you to look within to see what is this really about? And so I appreciate you sharing that story. I never yelled at a kid again. Yep. yep. Never. It, you, don't, you don't know, man. You don't know. With that in mind, as you learn those lessons and you've been from place to place and you've always coached multiple things at a time, you told me off camera that you were coaching five teams at once yeah what would you say if you had to distill it down to one or two things is the best thing you do as a coach in your programs that has the greatest ripple effect on culture no matter where i'm at we're going to do x y and z because that's the foundation of what i believe and i will translate that wherever i go i've always told the athletes just work hard, have a good work ethic. Do not be afraid to push yourself. Don't be afraid to train. What I've been told about my style from other people, and uh, it's always good to hear good things. I, I know that I can relate to people very well, and I laugh a lot. There's humor in everything I do, basically. The, the teaching, it was basically, it was a one-man stage. It was an open mic every night for me in the classroom. And that's how I, I coach the same way. And I just want to make sure that the athletes, and I tell them, expect to work hard. And if you commit yourself, you dedicate yourself, you will be very happy with the outcome at the end. And it's not about wins or losses. A lot of people say, oh, that means you must win a lot. No, it's about, and you know this, right? You work hard and then you see that improvement in yourself, done. It's cool. And that's what I have brought and that's what I continue to do. And again, I just want all the athletes I've coached just to respect the game, respect themselves, respect everybody, and have fun. 
That's it. <laughs> Perfect. Because what you're doing is you're grounding yourself in your core values, and that's what's shining yeah. out, and that's what your athletes are getting from you, and that's what becomes the foundation of your teams. And you could probably go through each and every one of those athletes and ask them, and you're going to get a very similar answer about what does Coach Moss believe in. And so I think that's really important, and thank you for sharing that. I want to pivot a little bit and ask a question that's going to pull from two different places. And one is, as you're going to all these different campuses, you're grounded as a teacher, you see all these other coaches on your own campus in different sports, then you're at a handful of different collegiate institutions, getting to see people do things different ways. And in addition to your own background coaching other sports, what is the last thing that you can remember seeing another coach do that you instantly were like, oh, we're going to do that because it's going to have this value add? <laughs> the very last thing, because that's how I basically how I started my career. I just watched and listened to other coaches. The very last thing. Oh, man. Or something you remember recently adopting. Yeah. We've had a lot of great swim coaches in the state of Massachusetts. And where I started and ended my teaching career in Concord, in that area, it was just hot with these great coaches. I would watch them. I would listen to them. So as an example, uh, let's say you're a basketball coach, all right? And you may have done this before. And it's after a game, everyone's left the gym, but there's one coach who sits there. All right, team, sit down. Let's just talk for five minutes about what happened. Just recap. And I watched a couple. It was a father and son coaching team. They didn't coach together, but they were both coached at different schools. That's one thing they always did, and I adopted that also. Just talk to your team. Win or lose, just and, and make it so they expect it after everything after every contest or swim meet or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so just watching other people, it's amazing mm -hmm. what you can learn. And uh, yeah, so many good swim coaches. That, that's how I learned. <laughs> and I think it's important to note, because often as a young coach, you get into this and you don't know where your resources are. This whole podcast was designed to be a resource for people. But the ability to see somebody doing something and ask a question out of curiosity, nine Point nine times out of 10, they're going to be very sincere and authentic and want to help and pass on knowledge, even though you might not feel comfortable asking. So how do you get to that point to just throw it out there and seek help? And it sounds like you've been able to do that throughout your career. I also want to follow up and ask in regards to things you do in your program, and you had the philosophical approach of what you believe in at your core values are there tangible pieces of training of uh, gauntlet type activities that your athletes have to go through of things that are very tangible that can be plucked from coach moss and put into coach climo's bag of tricks that you can offer as something that's been transformational for one of your teams or programs that's interesting. You know what? I go back to the BC water polo team. And one of the challenging parts for me was how do I train these guys swimming wise? Because these guys, a lot of them were swimmers on the BC swim team and they were very good. I didn't realize the type of athlete I had at BC. We, we were very good. <laughs> All right. We were loaded with some talent. 
And what I found is that I could push these guys. Like I'm, I'm a high school swim coach. And if we swim 4,000 yards in a day, that, boy, that's a lot of yardage. All right, 4,000. And I got to BC and we had doubles. We had in the morning and the afternoon. And, and it's a sense of varsity sport. We were on campus about basically a month before the student body came in. And that's how all the D1 schools are operating. And uh, I learned from the guys, he says, coach, you can push us more. Oh, okay. So long story short, it came to be that we would swim about 5,000 in the morning and then 5,000 in the afternoon. And within that, we play a little water polo. And we had, didn't have anyone blow out any shoulders. And that, that was a key thing. Cause sometimes when you train like that, you can really you know, hurt the shoulders. But I just learned from, from the athletes and we had, we swam hard and I don't know if you know anything about swimming, but at the end of a practice, there's a warm up phase, which is all swimming. All right. And then you have your skills and drills and your scrimmages and things. So just the swimming portion, we probably warmed up, let's say about 3000 yards while you're playing the game. You're probably swimming twice that maybe those short spurts. At the end of our practice, the guy says, coach, now I says, what do you guys do at the end of your practice? Coach, here's what we do 10 hundreds on the minute. And I said to myself, there's no freaking way that these cats are going to be doing 10 hundreds under a minute in succession. And I always figured they, they, would, they couldn't do it. The slowest, the slowest swimmer there was a 55. So these guys would do bang out 10 hundreds on the minute. The slowest is 55. And these guys were holding 50, 51. And that, and ask Brooks, that's fast. All right. So the athletes, they really taught me, okay, let's step it up a little bit. All right. Cause yeah, you come in with your thing. Okay. I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I'm right here. But that's an example for me that you're learning from your athletes. Okay. Thank you for pulling my coattail to that. Let's take that and let's go over here now. Let's do that more. So yeah. And, and it's just another example of, again, just understand where you are and just listen. And that's a thing that's helped me out. It's just, okay, just what do you got to say? Let's talk about it. Let's do it. And I would say that's very much a new school approach to coaching where we're actually listening to our athletes, seeing what they have to contribute, letting them take leadership relative to when you cut your teeth in this at the beginning, whether you were wired that way or not, the culture of coaching was dictatorial. Yeah, that's how I grew up. Yeah. Yeah. Coach says, jump, you say how high. And when should I come down, coach? Yep. And I would imagine that listening to your athletes at that early stage of your career really sets you up for success, not even on the outcome piece, but on the process of growth, how far you could push each group and how each team you had to be engaged as a new entity, not just we're doing this cookie cutter. This is what works. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think about that as you were speaking and I can recall all these different teams and they all are all different. All right. And, but also again, when I grew up in the sixties and you're right, you just shut your mouth and listen to the coach. That's it. Do this. I do it. All right. And for me, my style works for me. I don't know if it'll work for somebody else, but it's worked. It works for me. And the kids know when we come in to train, we're we're training. (laughs) You want to have fun? We'll do that after practice. Mm -hmm. And the kids always say, coach, are we going to do something fun today? And my first comment is don't use that F word. (laughs) 
So you've talked a lot about your perspective on how to approach coaching and how you got an early education in seeing things from a different lens with that story about your athlete where you guys jumped to a conclusion without knowing the reality of the circumstances. And so usually I'll ask, how has your approach to coaching changed and what are you doing now that you didn't used to do? And what I'm really curious about in your sense, along the lines of that question is also, what have you most recently changed your mind on regarding coaching? And you had a big gap. I think you said it's a 22-year gap between when you stopped and then went to Wellesley. And then you were there for four years, right? So that's a lot of time to go. Well, there's, there's some new things I should probably embrace. And yeah. so I, I often use this question to hopefully get people thinking you all, you have to constantly be learning, right? To get better. But what are some tangible things where, hey, here's where I once was and now I am firmly over here and here's why. I was surrounded by a lot of talented people. So getting back to how you say, do you watch and learn from people? Yeah, so that's one. To me, that's just the base right there, just listening to people around you. The thing that I may have changed, that that incident I, I shared with you, that really changed a lot on how I deal with athletes. Like I said, I'm more laid back, but now they know that if I do bark, it's a real bark. <laughs> and growing up the way I grew up, I'm probably a little bit older than you are. So again, like in the 60s and 70s, it was uh, the phrase you used before, it's either my way or the highway. And I found that for me that I did try to coach that way at, at one point, and I ran into some problems in terms of I didn't like the outcome. And the outcome was that there were some friendships that were severed because I probably, like most coaches, they'll have an ego, and I think... I had to get rid of that and go, okay, let's just take a step back. Let's listen. And you're not the big man on campus. They're kids. They're high school kids. You're just trying to help them out. No matter if it's high school or college kids. So I, I learned a lot in that respect. I was reading over one of those uh, questions or statements that you had uh, sent. And I wouldn't actually change anything. The way my life turned out, it's interesting because I had this, I was home in Montclair few weeks ago, and I said to a guy, if I had gotten serious with baseball, like I said, some a lot of stuff came easy to me. I never really trained. It was just, it just came. So for instance, at Northeastern, some guy, I, we were watching, I was playing lacrosse for about a month, and I'm watching a baseball team at Northeastern. I'm looking over, and I'm going, man, those cats aren't that good. And the guy goes, you couldn't make that team. I go, I bet you. So on a bet, I tried out, I made the team. Okay. And, but the beauty of this is I broke my ankle the next day playing basketball. So I never, that was it for my baseball. I got to play like one preseason game. That was it. But the more you do, the more you're exposed to really, I think is a key factor. And again, for me, I wouldn't change anything, but what I did learn over the years that you can't be didactic and you say, you must do this. You must do that. Coaching now has gone that's old school now. And it, it is different from when I started high school swimming or high school lacrosse or football going into college water polo. And I would say on that point, the equivalency as a teacher is the old modality of this is how we deliver content to 
what's working for this student might not work for this student. And I have Correct. to modify to make sure exactly. the goal is reached, which is learning, not teaching. Right. And how do you adjust in your delivery, in your engagement to ensure that the student or as a coach, the athlete is at the center of the equation. And that's a big shift. And so, yeah, most people say I wouldn't change anything, but they also have some advice that they would give themselves in regards to helping get to the point you're at now a little bit quicker. What would you offer from that standpoint? I like that question. So I look back when I first started coaching high school swimming, I did do this, but it took me a few years to get to know your fellow coaches and don't be afraid to say, Hey, look, how, how do you do that? How did you, how do you have success with your butterflyers? How do you train your 500 guys? Okay. And so I didn't feel comfortable because like I said, it was a lot of ego back then. And, oh, I'm a new high school coach. I can't ask another coach. No, that's what I would tell my younger self. Mm -hmm. No, lose that one and say, hey, Coach Jeff, how do you do that? And it did. It took me about four years. Mm -hmm. And I say, hey, coach, how do you do that? Coach, how do you do that? And world of difference. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's funny as we get older, and this has come up repeatedly in these conversations, is our ego and our security right? Are almost crossing each other in the night. So our ego is going down and our security is going up so that we like feel that, that we can yeah. be more vulnerable to ask questions that we should have right. been asking when we didn't know anything. And Good yet point. the more knowledge we get, the more we realize, hey, I need help over here. Can you There you go. The more you learn, the more you realize, boy, I got a lot to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As a coach, as a parent, as someone that is surrounded by other coaches and always watching and trying to steal tidbits and then bumping into my old athletes and then making comments about things I used to say certain points that you repeatedly make across industry in your classroom in the pool on the field where it's oh there we go coach Moss with his blank statement again what are those things that have, have stuck with you that you've handed out there as Nuggets of wisdom for the world. Excuses are like a crutch for the lame and the weak. You're not lame. You're not weak. I don't need the excuses and neither do you. And, and one of my favorite ones is just to make a comment. If someone said something, I just look at them and I go, hey, boys, about sharp as a bowling ball. We actually gave, give out a bowling ball award at my summer club just for that. And I've given it to parents. And they go, oh, no, I'm not going to get the ball. Yeah, baby, I'm talking about you. One of my favorite ones is uh, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. And late is just unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you got to end with a head shake. Mm -hmm. That ain't going to happen no more. <laughs> so I would bet that those three things, at least two of them, people would say, yeah, that's yeah. the saying. That's awesome. <laughs> the bowling ball comment is classic. All oh, right. Yeah, it has been. <laughs> I got one more question. And this one's out a little bit out of left field and not one that we would have prepared for. But Given the path that you have taken to where you are now, and you've had, as you described, some very fortuitous moments that have allowed you to land in places that you probably wouldn't have imagined just based on circumstance. And luck is when preparation meets opportunity, and, and right. you've been there a few times. But I also wonder if there are particular challenges that were unique to you or circumstance that you've had to overcome to find success in this profession and 
what strategies or what approach were you able to use during those really hard times to get through to the other side that you could offer as guidance for young coaches or heck veteran coaches that may need a new tool? I like to keep things simple. And for me, it is, if you have a love of something, you will figure out a way. And it, and to me, it is that simple. Also for me, I think I've been just very fortunate. I've been blessed. I tell people I've been blessed. All right. To the life I have, the teams I've coached, the people I've met, it's cool. But yeah, that I would just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's a great way to end. If you have a love of something, you will figure yeah. it out. And yeah, I can't say that I could agree with you anymore on anything you've said today. So I appreciate you taking the time and calling in from Concord, Mass, or as you said beforehand, Concord, for those that don't live in the town. But yeah. appreciate the time you were able to spend with us today. Nice to have met you, Justin, and good luck with you. This podcast was also brought to you by teachhoops.com. As coaches, our inboxes will get flooded with noise on how to make your program better. Teachhoops.com will get you focused on what needs to get done. One thing you've heard from these podcasts is no matter the experience, you got to keep pushing yourself to be better. Coach Steve Collins will help you direct that noise. He is there to help you. He has the credentials as a coach, and he's never turned down a Teach Hoops member. Sign up for a plan at teachhoops.com and mention us at checkout. This site is here simply to help you be better. Take advantage and see you on the court. Remember, go to teachhoops.com. This episode is brought to you by Element, spelled L-M-N-T. What is Element? It is a delicious, sugar-free, electrolyte drink mix. I've been using Element Recharge for the last few months after hearing about it on another podcast, and since then, I've stocked up on boxes and boxes. I usually use it one to two times per day. Element is a great alternative to other commercial recovery and performance drinks and has enough sodium, potassium, and magnesium to get you feeling and performing your very best. Plus, it has zero sugar, artificial ingredients, or other junk you simply do not want. Speaking of performance, the best performers in the world use Element. I'm talking about Team USA Weightlifting, NBA teams, NFL teams, and Navy SEALs. The list goes on. Element can expand your limits too. Want more energy while low-carb dieting or intermittent fasting? Want to crush that next workout? Or want to just be ready for the next workday? Element has the electrolytes to make this happen. And with eight delicious flavors, you're guaranteed to find one that will satisfy your taste buds. They just released their latest flavor, Grapefruit, and it has quickly become one of my favorites. Element came up with a fantastic offer for us. Just go to drinkelement.com slash Justin Climo to claim your eight count free sample pack. Thanks for listening. If you found this valuable, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and give contacts and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support.